Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Dr. Kira Barr is a dual board certified dermatologist, the founder of Resilient Health Institute, best-selling author, and a frequent My Buddy Green contributor. She works with women all over the world to revitalize their lives and re-energize their bodies to achieve and exceed their physical and personal goals of happiness, confidence, and success, something we can all get behind. And today, I'm excited to talk with her about the power of our minds, the power of the food we eat when it comes to our skin health. Not to mention she shares some very practical skin health tips for both women and men of all ages. It's an honor to have her here today. Kira, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to have a chat with you. So here at Mind Buddy Green, you know, we're pretty familiar with the gut-brain connection and how the two communicate and influence each other. But you say there's a brain-skin connection. That that's a new one. And there's a fully functional, I want to botch this, like HPA system within the skin. So can you explain the the brain skin connection and this new system, if you will. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's actually not a new system per se because our skin. New to me. New, yeah. Well, <laughs> to be honest, it's fairly recent research, and it was it was really new to me. It's not something I learned about in my training. But think of it this way: when someone tells you that you know you've got something stuck in your teeth or you're doing an interview like this you know and, and you're a little bit nervous and so you may become flushed in your face or your neck and and you you know from being embarrassed or you have a lot of work deadlines or something and you're noticing that your eczema is flaring your psoriasis is flaring or you're breaking out you know those are the moments that you know that your skin can reflect what you're seeing on the inside and what you're feeling inside can be reflected on your skin. And so, you know, although the cause and effect may be challenging to, to suss out those details, we know that aside from being derived from the same embryologic tissue, the brain and the skin are intimately connected. And in, in fact, there's actually this whole subset of dermatology called psychodermatology or psychoneuroimmunology because of this interplay between our mind, our skin, and the immune system. And that HPA axis that you were talking about, that hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, you know, when we think about the stress response, we always think about coming from the brain to the rest of the body, including the skin. But the skin has the exact same machinery in it to produce those stress hormones and the stress chemicals, just like our brain does. So how can we go about improving our mind skin connection any any tips absolutely so the biggest thing you know stress it all comes down to how do we better manage our stress response and we know that like 60 to 80 percent of doctors visits are for stress and skin is the number one reason people go to the doctor so we know that finding tools to manage our stress is really important and the biggest one that i could suggest is literally just breathing. And it mm. seems so simple. It seems so simple, but most of us aren't paying attention to how we're breathing. And when we're nervous or, or we're keyed up, you know, we're breathing more rapidly, more shallow. And if we just take a few deep breaths and you can incorporate that into your skin routine, when you are washing your face, when you're applying your serums or your moisturizers, you can literally just close your eyes, take some nice deep breaths, and it's an instant reset for your system. 
So just some simple nostril breathing, maybe inhale for two, exhale for four, just simple breath work. Just simple breath work. I mean, I think most of us think that in order to shift our skin or manage our stress, it has to be this cumbersome thing. And then that becomes overwhelming and stresses us out more. When in fact, there are no extra steps that we need to take. It's literally just taking what you already do all the time and just putting intentional focus to it. So something else that's really interesting is movement and movement as it relates to skin. You, you actually previously cited a study that showed exercise can help reverse skin aging, even in those who start exercising later in life. So let's talk about the connection between movement and having great skin. Yeah, I think there's so many benefits of exercise for so many reasons and so many aspects of our body. But because the skin is like the most visible organ, it's really easier to see the signs of aging, like the fine lines, change in texture and, and the pigmentary changes. And what they found is that a lot of these changes are because of reduced energy metabolism. And there's basically, we're talking about our mitochondria. So there's higher mitochondrial oxidative stress and dysfunctional mitochondria, which are our cells powerhouses. And one of the benefits of exercise that was found is regulating the skin's mitochondrial function. So there was that a recent study in 2015 by, I'm going to mess up his name, Tarapolsky, I believe, and it showed that there were um, chemical messengers being produced during exercise, specifically this IL uh, interleukin 15 that stimulated mitochondrial function as well as boosting immunity. So it really helped mediate the, the or improve the health of the skin tissue. And so this was done actually in an elderly population. And in just three months, because of this boost in the energy powerhouses of, of our cells and our body, they found that there was actually a reduction in wrinkles. Wow. Which is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah. So in terms of movement, is all movement created equal? Or you know, you've got walking, you've got running, you've got yoga, you've got the gym. There's so many different ways to move. Are there certain types of movement that are better than others when it comes to wrinkles and our skin? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And from my perspective, just getting off the couch is is a win. These particular studies showed cycling and some showed high intensity um, interval training. But what was really cool, there was a study that um, was done in yoga and really focusing on the pranayama, the breathing and the asanas. And what they found is that yoga had an impact on the stress response, which we know has a significant impact on skin health because when your stress hormones increase, it breaks down collagen and such. So yoga was found to, this is really cool, it was found to help regulate blood sugar balance and increase insulin sensitivity. And why that's important is because when there's excess sugar, it creates this process called glycation. And these advanced glycation end products are formed, which bind to your collagen, which is the structural, uh, provides the structural integrity of your skin. And so it makes, the collagen more stiff and inelastic and how that shows up is wrinkles and fine lines. So yoga was found to actually reduce that glycation process. I love Pretty it. Pretty cool. 
So yoga can reduce wrinkles. <laughs> I, I love it. Did it go into detail, like how much yoga you need to do? Is it daily? Is it, you know, a couple of times a week? Did it go that far in the study? Or? It did not go that far. It did not go that far, but it's pretty cool. I mean, I'd love to write a prescription for yoga. I, I'm with you. Well, I'm a huge fan of yoga and I'm a huge fan of just breathing and, and you know, my philosophy b because of my schedule and our two little kids, I'm very much into very, you know, five to 10 minute, five to 10 minutes of yoga or breath work here and there or walking, taking the stairs really quickly. So it's like my own mini version of breathing, my breathing yoga hit uh, <laughs> combination on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, I think whatever you can do, you start where you are and and go from there. I mean, you got to celebrate all the little wins. I'm with you. It doesn't you. have to be all or nothing. <laughs> so, so okay, so we're we're approaching skin from various mind body green perspectives. We started with the mind, and then we also talked about the power of movement. And now I'm going to segue to food. And you've previously told us, quote, you can use the food in your shopping cart to crowd out all the factors working against you and promote a youthful glow. So what I'm curious about is what specific foods would you recommend for healthy skin? What, what, what should be in our shopping carts here? Yeah, I love this question because for me, it's all about the reframe. You know, when it comes to getting an outcome like clear and healthy skin, I think a lot of, of us think that we have to completely deprive ourselves of the good stuff, of our comfort foods and all of that. And I don't know about you, but when someone tells me I can't have something, I usually want it more. <laughs> so, you know, because we are exposed to environmental stressors and toxins, you know, the things that should be filling your grocery cart are things that are rich in antioxidants, foods that are anti-inflammatory, and foods that are low in sugar. And when we talk about antioxidants, the big ones, especially for skin health, are vitamin C and E. And there are some great studies that showed, you know, pomegranate is one of the, has, has, you know, among the highest content of vitamin C. So I'm not a big fan of juices, but I have to say there was a study that was done that showed it wasn't just the seeds. It wasn't the flesh. It literally was the entire fruit. And the only way to do that is commercially prepared juice. So pomegranate juice is a big one, but other, other sources of vitamin C like spinach or tomatoes, which also offer lycopene, which is great for helping to protect you from ultraviolet rays. So we got pomegranates, we got spinach. What else do we have in the shopping cart? Yeah, we got lots of, for vitamin E, we got dark leafy green veggies and nuts and seeds, sweet potatoes and butternut squash, which of course in the fall is like perfect timing. So eating seasonally. The other thing too, for anti-inflammatory, I'm a big fan of um, wild caught salmon. I'm in the Pacific Northwest and you know, my husband thankfully is, is a, he loves to fish. So he fills our freezer, but you can get wild caught salmon at, at your local grocery store or sardines. I'm a big fan of sardines. So in terms of omega, omega three, so omega three is too yeah. very important for skin yeah. health. What about, I'm curious in terms of nuts, which, which are your favorite nuts for skin health? Selenium in the Brazil nuts. And part of that is, you know, we know that selenium uh, is important for skin repair and also for thyroid helping, helping with the thyroid. And we know that the thyroid plays a significant role in metabolism and supporting skin health too. When we experience that the thyroid is not working as well, you'll notice that you may lose hair, especially the lateral third of your eyebrows, skin tone and texture may change. So 
big fan of Brazil nuts. And almonds. Oh, there was a study in almonds that showed that it reduced wrinkles. So I'm a big fan of almonds. <laughs> so if those are all the best foods, what are the what are the foods we should be avoiding for our skin? Yeah. So, you know, it differs for everybody because there's a, you know, some people may have food allergies. Obviously, those are off the table, but there's other people who have food sensitivity. So it's a very individual thing. But I think when we talk about skin, the two big ones are sugar and dairy. And going back to sugar, the added sugars. And again, that's because of that production of those advanced glycation end products, um, which bind to the collagen make it stiff and inelastic and can contribute to those fine lines and wrinkles. Where dairy becomes an issue is because it increases a hormone called IGF-1. And IGF-1 plays a role in acne in a few different ways. Um, and acne isn't just something for our teenagers as women are transitioning to perimenopause and there's those hormonal imbalances, acne can rear its ugly head again. So paying attention to dairy could be beneficial because what IGF-1 does is that it stimulates the oil glands. It increases essentially um, testosterone and DHEA and also increases this enzyme called 5-alpha reductase, which converts testosterone to its more potent form. So you're, so you're really increasing that oil production. And the other thing that it does is that it increases the amount of skin cells in the hair follicle. So acne is caused by oil, plugged, skin, plugged hair, hair follicles with dead skin cells, the bacteria and inflammation. So, so dairy is contributing to at least two of those main factors of acne. Wow. And I guess it's one of those things, for some people, dairy is fine. For others, it's problematic. You probably do an elimination exactly. diet. I noticed exactly. you didn't say gluten. So gluten is, is an interesting one. And oftentimes I... I I guess because I'm just like, it's a given. <laughs> but, you know, again, just like dairy, for some people, it really can be problematic. There are some good studies in psoriasis, especially doing a gluten-free diet. I just, I suggest it to everybody. For me, across the board, not just for skin health, but, you know, my husband's orthopedics, and so a lot of joint aches from gluten. So I just, that I feel like if we're going to do an elimination, gluten and dairy and sugar are the tops. Yeah. Right. So it, it's hard to have a conversation in 2020 without segueing to COVID. And, and, you know, as I think about COVID, there are some mainstays in our world that are just here and are in our new world. And one of them is sanitizing. It's just, you know, if we travel, we have to go places like whether no matter how you feel about hand sanitizer, it's sort of like the cost of living or traveling, if you will. And a concern is, you know, we're blasting our skin microbiome and it's it's proven there's science that sanitizer kills the skin microbiome. It's not good. It's, it's undisputed. And th there are potential problems down the line as we're doing this to our skin microbiome. So can can you talk about this and also talk about how our skin microbiome can actually affect our immune resilience, if you will. Yeah. Listen, I am not claiming to be a skin microbiome expert because, and we're still learning. We're still about learning. 
We're still learning. <laughs> but what we do know about the skin microbiome is that the microbial um, populations differ based on the location. So the microorganisms in your armpit is going to be different than in your groin, than you know, on your legs. So we know that the microbiome varies by location, it varies by age, it varies by sex. But what we do know is that, and that microbiome also can be influenced by environmental climate, certainly personal hygiene, medications and such. But we know that the microbiome interacts with our innate immune system and that can set off a cascade or I guess a, a flow of chemical messengers and inflammatory chemicals that either can help boost our skin's skin barrier integrity or disturb it. And aside from just with the, the hygiene, where we see evidence of this is like in atopic dermatitis. So in atopic dermatitis or eczema, we see that there's a shift, the, the population of organisms is the, in greater abundance of Staphylococcus aureus. We know this, right? So this is where a shift in the, the microbial population can impair the skin barrier function. Whereas there was some research done that showed a different population of organisms when it's in abundance actually can help protect us against ultraviolet rays. So it can protect us from the sun. So those are two examples of, of kind of a shift. One direction is harmful, one direction is helpful. And so taking, you know, what, what can we distill from that? When it comes to hygiene and using sanitizers, yes, the, the microbiome may shift and there may be some dysbiosis, um, an imbalance, but studies, again, going back to the atopic dermatitis example, studies show that moisturizing, moisturizing alone, without medication, without steroids, without changing anything, moisturizing alone over a period of 90 days actually had a significant reduction in how the skin appeared and in the disease process. So I think the takeaway, babbling a lot, sorry about that, but the takeaway is that we have to wash our hands, right? Disease transmission is helped so much by washing our hands, socially distancing, all that stuff. So when you wash your hands, have your moisturizer right by the sink as well and apply that moisturizer while your hands are still damp to seal that moisture in and help protect the, the microbial environment that is there and, and help promote, you know, re rebalancing, if you will. So whether it's a hand sanitizer or hand wash right after you do either have some sort of moisturizing hand cream right next to you to exactly. rub it in after, got it. Exactly, exactly. And so I'm curious, what does your skincare routine look like? We want to get the advice from a pro. Walk us through your routine. Yeah, I am. I'm. <laughs> I am like the least compliant person, so it has to be really simple. I, and, I love that. We're all about simplicity. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I was never one of those like product junkies. I actually make some of my own serums because I love to tinker. But it's really simple. It's a cleanser in the morning, an antioxidant serum with vitamin C, E, and ferulic acid, and then a moisturizer that has SPF of 30. Like hands down, rain or shine, the sun is shining through those clouds. 80% of UV rays get through the clouds, so I want to protect myself all year round. And then in the evening, it's similar. It's a cleanse. I put on my antioxidant serum, and then I will use, because 
I'm of that age where my skin cell turnover is decreasing. I'm in that perimenopausal phase. So I use a topical retinoid in a blend of hyaluronic acid because topical retinoids can be drying and a bit irritating. So I add a little bit of moisture with that to help balance. But that's pretty much it. Three steps in the morning, three steps in the evening. I love I love the simplicity. So what, what would what would your what would your advice be to someone who doesn't really have a routine but wants to start start now? Yeah, I say it's go for it, and it's never too late. <laughs> and just know, <laughs> and and just know that it can be really simple. I think you know if you're in a rush in the morning and you're like I don't have time to wash my face. Okay, the important time to wash your face is actually in the evening after you've been out, been exposed to air pollution and other things that you know can gunk up your your hair follicles and plug your pores. So wash at night, and then in the morning, if I had a, if you just chose one product. It would be your moisturizer with SPF, like, because 90% of visible signs of aging is from the sun. So my top tips are always sun protection, sun protection, sun protection. And then ideally at night, like some type of type of retinoid to help with the skin cell turnover. Interesting. I learned something because I usually wash my face with a cleanser in the shower in the morning and at night I just rinse it. But I'm going to flip that now. Yeah, flip that. What was I thinking? What you said makes total sense. What have I been doing for the past 46 years? So, wow. Okay. So, you know, something you mentioned premenopause, you know, we think of acne and other hormonal skin changes. We, we tend to think about puberty, but you actually believe menopause should get more attention in the skincare space. So can you talk to us about some of the skin changes that happen in that time and why aren't we paying attention to this? It seems like it makes sense, but we don't seem to be paying attention to it. Yeah, I think part of it is, you know, this $500 billion plus beauty industry (laughs) thinks that we should be anti-aging. We should be, we should all be Benjamin Button and we should, you know, not age. And so I think the attention has been shifted a little bit and the emphasis needs to be on celebrating where we are and celebrating our age and what happens i think it's really important to understand what our sex hormones do for our skin in the first place to understand what happens um, in the menopausal phase i think it's also important to understand that menopause is like a milestone it's a day it's the day 12 months after you've had your last period but there's this potential 12 10 to 12 year period before that time perimenopause starting for women in their mid to late 30s and then you have your postmenopausal phase, you know, your 50s and 60s. People don't necessarily realize that women spend about a third of our lives in a sex hormone deficient state. So it's really important to understand like estrogen is really key for the functioning of our skin. Blood vessels, hair follicles, our oil glands, and it plays a big role in collagen production. And and also that hyaluronic acid, the moisture. So, so estrogen plays a significant role in maintaining skin moisture. So when we head into this menopausal phase of life, as the hormones are diminishing, that's why women will notice that their skin is more dry, more irritated, because around age 50, our pH, our skin pH decreases as well, which corresponds the average age of menopause is about 51. So as the pH of the skin decreases, the skin's going to be more vulnerable to things that you might put on it. So yeah, so a lot of things are changing. And some women may notice that they are dry and oily at the same time. 
And that's because as estrogen is diminishing, the androgens may not be diminishing at the same rate. So there's this relative imbalance and we know that those androgens are stimulating those oil glands. So there may be areas of your face that are really dry and areas that are a little bit oily. So what should a skincare routine look like in menopause and use your words, you know, how do we, how does someone thrive in menopause? Yeah, I think number one is you made it, like celebrate where you are. I always, you know, my mission is to help women feel beautiful during this phase of life. And most of us have been made to feel like we should be invisible. So I think it's, it's, it's a mindset shift as well. But I think it's important to, number one, get to know your hormonal state, understanding the role that the hormones play in the skin. And so because estrogen plays such a big role in keeping the skin hydrated, and now that may be you're experiencing dryness, is choosing products that are made for more sensitive skin, more dry skin to help boost that hydration and noticing any sensitivities that you may have. So choosing products that are fragrance free. So really minimizing anything that can irritate the skin in general. So you talked a lot about different skincare actives. So retinol, vitamin C, collagen, hyaluronic acid. So I'm curious, like what, at what age, age groups or stages, if you will, should people introduce, women introduce these different skincare actives? Yeah, I mean, it seems to make the most sense, right? In menopause, we know that collagen decreases by 30% in the first five years and 2% every year thereafter. But what most women don't appreciate necessarily is that their collagen actually starts to decrease starting in their 20s. Yeah. So taking care of your And that skin, goes for men too. And and it goes for men too. It's, it's true. I think, you know, I think at a minimum starting in your 20s, I, I, you know, love to instill good habits young. So my kids are wearing their moisturizer with sunscreen as much as I can get them to do it. But it, at least in our 20s, that's where you may start to notice some textural changes, some pigmentary changes. So I think that in our 20s is a great place to start with especially the topical retinoids. I always say like, you know, you're te- if you have a teenager who's got acne, you know, mom or dad, like just use a little bit of it. And over the counter, you can get it over the counter now, actually, it's different, you can use. So let me ask you this. If you were to say like, okay, we'll take 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. If you take each bucket, so like in, for example, in your 20s, like what what's the one must have you'd kind of recommend for everyone? Is it is it collagen and then what about 30s 40s 50s i'm curious if there's like a a must-have i know it's hard to generalize but like a must-have you should incorporate in your routine i think in the 20s i think the must-have is adding in that spf moisturizer okay like really start paying attention to your sun protection because you know like i said the majority of the visible signs of aging um, are from uv exposure and certainly paying attention to your diet with the sugar and the dairy and such. In our 30s, that's where adding in the topical retinoid may be helpful because it's really in the 30s that you may start to see the visible signs of aging with the fine lines and the wrinkles. So adding in, keeping with your, your sun protection and then adding in that topical retinoid. In your 40s, you know, again, estrogen is starting to diminish. so. Um, adding in maybe products that have ceramides or collagen, maybe, you know, whether you take a supplement um, that offers collagen might be a good idea as well. And essentially in the 50s and 60s, it's very similar. You know, 
the, the hormones continue to diminish. So making sure that you're using products that are very gentle, fragrance-free, um, and can help boost that skin barrier integrity. So that makes me feel good. I'm in my 40s. I turned 46 November 4th, and I take our grass-fed collagen. So it makes me feel good. And another one of your products, which is great, like the NR Plus with it has the NAD. And we were talking yeah. about exercise boosting, you know, the energy potential of our cells. And so, you know, if, if you can't exercise as much as you would like, you know, there's other ways to help boost you yeah. along. So what else, I know we're spending so much, like this is 90% for women, but <laughs> and that's mostly our audience. I am curious, like for men, I'm curious for, for, for our men, for, for our male listeners, yeah. for me. So like I'm taking our grass-fed collagen, I'm taking our NR, boost NAD. What what other, what, what about for men? Are there any specifics for men in these different age groups or more or less the same? 20s, protect your skin, skin moisturizer. I'm curious men, how men differ here. Yeah, I think in general, it's it's going to be similar. And I think for men, the fewer the products, the better. Because I know my husband, he's like, just tell me what to use, I'll use it. <laughs> but it's got to be like one or two things and that's it. And so I think, you know, most men don't necessarily think to use a moisturizer um, with sunscreen because it may not feel good on the skin. But there are, there are some great options out there that are a little bit more matte. So I think that's a big one is just the moisturizer with the sun protection. I think the collagen is great. And that skin cell turn with like adding in a topical retinoid will do amazing things. Okay, you convinced me. <laughs> so my last question, I know it's hard to uh, predict the future, especially in 2020. And so it's October 2020. The world is changing very rapidly. I'm curious, is there anything you're really excited about or interested about in terms of what's you know developing science in, in the world of, of skin health? What's interesting to you? What are you paying attention to? You know, I'm personally paying attention to trying to redefine how skincare is, is delivered. You know, I'm really focusing my practice on supporting women in menopause and helping to replenish hormones go from sufficiency a deficiency to sufficiency and create more of an integrative approach that it's it's not just what you put on your skin it's what you put in your body it's what you who you spend your time with and really creating that integrative approach and i'm really excited that i'm not alone in that desire to support patients on a more comprehensive level and i'm hopeful that we will create like a collaborative approach to to care so is it, it, there's a lot of exciting stuff with the microbiome and peptides and other things, but for me, it's more of that humanistic approach of really taking skincare to the next level, mind, body, and skin. I love it. Amen to that. Dr. Kirabar, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you.